This is the Studio Alchemy Podcast, episode 107, Weaving Patterns. Our quote of the day was said by Michelangelo, the sculptor's hand can break the spell to free the figures slumbering in the stone. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives using the artistic process. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another, and we all do this every day. Every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. My name is Addie Hirschton. I am an artist. I sign my paintings with the name Vita. I teach art classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting and my new book, The Alchemy of Symbols, which we will be reading from today. To find out more about my projects, classes, and to sign up for my art newsletter, I invite you to go to my website, studioalchemy.art. And now for our topic of the day. This episode is an excerpt from my book, The Alchemy of Symbols, How to Use the Power of Images to Transform Your Life. Today we are reading from chapter seven, Weaving Patterns. And this chapter is about how we can learn from patterns the patterns of symbols that cross cultures, symbols that are universal. And I'll also say that as I wrote this chapter, I was really processing the murder of my friend Lauren Reiner's mother. And so I talk about that a little bit. And Lauren um, came on the podcast and on episode 63. So, and, and, I actually went back and listened to my interview with Lauren and um, it's sort of sadly bittersweet, but she mentioned her mom twice and this is before her mother's death. So it was, it's really, it would be worth a listen if you enjoyed this episode to go back and listen to my interview with Lauren, episode 63. This chapter is not all sad, by the way. When I wrote it, I really wanted to turn the love that I feel to a happier place. So to not wallow in the muck, to not, um, to not be discouraged by discouraging things. So it's actually, um, despite the, the fact that as I was writing it, I was, I was feeling um, real empathy and sadness for my friend. But at the same time, I think it's a very uplifting chapter. So I hope that you enjoy it. So I'd also like to share a special thanks to the Indiana Arts Commission for their generous grant that helped me to write this book. And if you'd like a copy of the illustrated book, go to my website, studioalchemy.arc, for a link to purchase it. And now for our Chapter 7, Weaving Patterns. The Folktale Cinderella is a story that is found in just about every culture on the planet. In China, she is Yishin. In Russia, she is Vasilisa. In South Africa, she is Nomi. In Japan, she is Benisara. In Ireland, he is known as Billy Begg, a young man with really big feet. What is common about all of these Cinderella stories is that there is always a young person who is facing injustice. They disguise themselves, then an important person who is often 
of romantic interest, sees past their bad appearance to recognize their inner beauty. Shoes are a common symbol in these stories, representing how the Cinderella character fits the needs of the person who is seeking a romantic partner. In the Hindu text, the Rig Veda, it is written, Truth is one, the sages speak of it by many names. In 1966, my mother visited St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. One of her most memorable experiences from the visit was seeing the sculpture, the Pieta. Pieta means piety in Italian. This sculpture, created in 1499 by Michelangelo, depicts Mother Mary holding the baby Jesus after he has been crucified. My mother remembers the sculpture as being serenely beautiful. Mary's gentle face expressed the deep sadness of grief. Michelangelo stated that he wanted the sculpture to show the heart's image. In May of 1972, a mentally ill man entered the basilica. With a hammer, he attacked the Pieta, shouting, I am Jesus Christ, I have risen from the dead. He broke off Mary's left arm, the tip of her nose, and part of her eye. An American sculptor named Bob Cassilli grabbed the disturbed man by the beard and wrestled him to the ground. Unfortunately, several of the chunks of marble were stolen by onlookers in the chaos that ensued. Nevertheless, artisans were able to restore the Pieta. She now sits in the basilica behind bulletproof glass. When my mother visited the Pieta, she was able to walk right up to the sculpture. Now, because of this senseless act, there is a shield between the viewers and this sacred piece. A friend of mine recently lost her mother, Toni Macri Reiner, to gun violence. Late one night, an intruder, who was only 13 years old, broke into their house and shot her. This terrible crime is the most horrific tragedy that has ever happened to a friend of mine. It reminds me of the vandalism of the Pieta. The sacred mother was attacked. Innocence was lost. We try to repair the damage, but there are permanent scars. The injustice of my friend's mother's death has made me feel many moments of despair. Yet I find hope in the eternal symbol of motherhood and my own belief in the nature of the spirit. I believe that the body can be broken, but nothing can touch the spirit within. The spirit of all mothers lives in the arms that hold and the hands that do the work of love. It is embodied in symbols of motherhood like the Pieta. It lives on with the birth of every new mother. It is alive in everyone who does an act of love. The symbol of the mother is just one of many patterns that repeats over and over with each generation of people. She grieves for the foolishness of violence and she holds us. We can place the mother behind a shield, but she is never far away. If we remember her, she is there. If we have fallen like Jesus in the Pieta, the mother is there to comfort and hold us. She is in each of us in the form of the energy she gave to nurture us and in our DNA. 
I see within the double helix of our genes, the patterns of our mothers and fathers repeated like reincarnation. We are our mothers and fathers. I view the attack on the Pieta and my friend's mother as especially ugly because they are needlessly destructive. Going back to our ideas of beauty, what is beautiful sustains life, decay, destruction, and death are part of life, but when they are sought after by someone without reason, the act strikes us as wrong. There are many symbols and mythological characters that embody death. These symbols help us cope with natural death and the stages of life. One of the most important gods in the Hindu tradition is the god of fire, Agni. Fire destroys to create space for new growth. Agni is honored as both the creator and the destroyer of life. The religious text, the Rig Veda, contains hundreds of verses that praise fire as the purifier of existence. This reminds me of how ecologists have learned in recent years that in some circumstances, forest fires should not be suppressed. Many species of plants require fire for their seeds to germinate, including Ceratonus pines. Fire suppression can eliminate those species. Many of our national parks now have controlled fires so that those plants can continue their life cycle. Killing without cause creates an imbalance in the system and injustice. This tragedy feels as though it is outside the natural realm for me because it was so bizarre and nonsensical. When we destroy without cause, we destroy part of ourselves. When we nurture, grow, and support one another, we ultimately help ourselves because we are connected by the bonds of community. I wish that we could completely banish evil it doesn't seem to be a necessary element in the whole of creation, like normal decay. Yet sadly, it is a part of the pattern of human nature. Careless mistakes, big and small, are unfortunately part of human life. When struggling to understand the death of my friend's mother, I have looked for comfort in the patterns found in symbols the Wheel of Fortune symbol from European fortune telling is meant to represent how good and bad luck is just a chance of fate. It might capture the unfairness of the tragedy, or the devil could represent selfishness. These symbols represent part of life as we know it, the unfair side of things. The characters Loki in Norse mythology or the stepmother in Cinderella also show the ugly side of human nature. When reading stories like these, we are given hints at how to cope with injustice, often through symbolic metaphors. The heroes rise above the forces of evil and win the day. We too can rise up out of despair if we focus on creating more of the beauty that we want to see. This choice can be solidified in our minds when we embrace positive symbols. Every day we face choices. We can build gardens or build guns. We can choose peace or we can choose war. 
We can choose love or we can choose hate. We can choose the pen to fight our demons or we can choose the sword. Quote from Matthew twenty six fifty two: They that take the sword shall perish with the sword. I can find comfort from symbols like the Pieta. In them is a collective cry and grief from all who have witnessed atrocities. The Pieta weeps and we weep. The Pieta holds her son and we hold our sons. And within the pattern of history found in my friend's mother's death, the murder of victims like George Floyd, and in the crucifixion of martyrs like Jesus, there was despair. A despair that I can understand and see reflected in symbols. The poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, Art is the child of nature in whom we trace the features of the mother's face. The threads of nature weave together the fabric of our lives. In art, symbolism expresses our nature, our heritage, and our essence. To disgrace one sacred element, whether it is in the form of a symbol or a living being, goes against life. It goes against the flow of the stream. Instead of flowing with the current of life, it fights against it. My fourth grade teacher, Miss Jane Loon, grew up in Scotland. One day, when she was a little girl, her parents took her to a house party. As the grown-ups talked, she wandered throughout the house, looking at the pictures on the walls and the interesting knickknacks on the shelves. Then she saw a glass door leading out to a garden. She opened it, stepping into a lush green space. Flowers speckled the ground. A delicate tree arched its branches over her as if it were hugging the garden. Nestled into the earth of a hill, someone had placed a large shell, the largest shell Jane had ever seen. She was able to hide under the lip of the shell, then peer out into the quiet of the garden. Jane imagined fairies dancing around her. Brick walls enclosed the yard, making it a true secret garden. When she went back to the party, Jane told her hostess that she had found the garden. They both agreed that it was a magical place. Years later, Jane returned to Scotland as an adult and went by the old house, hoping to see the secret garden again. Sadly, she found that the yard had been paved over. It was now a parking lot. The plants, trees, flowers, and even the shell were gone. Miss Loon shared this story with my class in one of those funny little true teaching moments between the regular classwork. It stands in my mind as an important cautionary tale. The owners of the garden had a choice to maintain the Garden of Eden or destroy it. They chose destruction. But I don't have to. I can recreate the garden because that is what my heart desires. Quote by Voltaire, learn to cultivate your own garden. When I bought my art studio, it came with a beautiful sunken garden full of roses, a fountain, and twin service berry trees. I later learned that when the previous owner, ceramic artist Mary Jane Moriarty, bought the house, the 
backyard was paved over. She had the pavement removed and rebuilt it as a garden space. And when I heard this, I was delighted to think that my garden, like Miss Jane Loon's garden, was paved, but now it is brought back to life again. It is teeming with birds, bugs, herbs, flowers, and my little blue-tailed lizards. I planted my grandfather's rosebush in the garden, a plant that has been in my family for at least 100 years. This is the legacy that I want to put my energy into. Quote by Francis H. Burnett, If you look the right way, you can see the whole world is a garden. The shell from Miss Loon's garden reminds me of Botticelli's painting, The Birth of Venus. In it, the goddess Venus stands in a shell. She has just been birthed out of the sea, fully grown. She represents youth and vitality. She is an ideal beauty, just like the garden. Ironically, it is Miss Loon who first introduced me to mythology. Like every good teacher, she inspired me with stories and challenges. It may seem small, but those acts made a big difference in my life. What we create by our everyday choices may seem to have a small impact on our communities, but many small acts add up to a large impact. It takes many drops of water to fill the bucket, but suddenly it is overflowing. When we choose to build gardens instead of parking lots, we are making an impact. Every choice you make is impacting the world around you. You have the ability to create things of beauty, to mold the world with your hands, as a sculptor does with clay. If you choose to, you can manifest what you want. You can learn about yourself from the symbolic objects in your life and use that knowledge to transform your surroundings. You can choose your own adventure. I believe that nothing can touch the solid rock that is the soul. It stands at the center, unmoving and impenetrable. The inner rock of my soul will continue on energetically rippling outward in the form of the many things I have created in my lifetime. I believe that people live on in the ways they influenced the world around them. Everything that a person has done will continue to affect those they have left behind. For artists, the most obvious form of this is in the artwork they created. But you don't have to be an artist to create an impact. Every act creates or destroys. Every act is influential. It is my deepest hope that the work I have done, building gardens, teaching, and painting positive images, has helped bring more light and life into the world. The impact of our choices, what we have built, will continue to influence others even when we are gone. That is the work of the soul to bring light where there is darkness, to be the spark that ignites the flame of the spirit, the energy that starts the electrons spinning around the nucleus of an atom and the movement that pushes all life forward. When we create anything, whether it is artwork or food or a home, we are helping propel life forward. 
We are growing just as plants grow toward the sun. The Taoist Lu Yiming explained it like this. The spirit of openness is the center containing essence and life. The center is the great root of the world. Within positive symbols is a push, a drive that propels all life forward. The urge to create, the desire to share what we love, or as the poet Dylan Thomas wrote, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. Author J.C. Cooper wrote that the perfect symbol should satisfy every aspect of man. If a symbol is able to tap into a classic truth, it can give comfort and healing. This is when the shoe fits. This is when the mother's arms open to us. This is when Cinderella is embraced again. The main message of this chapter. Symbols show us truth through patterns. The good, the bad, and the ugly sides of life are all reflected in symbols. Every action you take, both big and small, changes everything around you. You can choose to embrace positivity or negativity. You can design your life and choose your attitude. Questions to ask yourself. What symbols feel wrong to you? What symbols feel right? And that is the end of chapter seven, Weaving Patterns. This concludes the Studio Alchemy podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice.